welcome. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding Business. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and today is July 23rd, 2015, and this is episode 161. Now, today we're going to be speaking with Greg Meyerson. He is the founder and creator of the World Record Striper Company. He also is a, a world record setting fisherman. He has landed an 81.8 pound striped bass. We're going to be talking to him about his business, how he created his product, his company, his experience on Shark Tank, and talk to him about what we can learn about his experience, you know, owning this company and creating something that he just loved to do, this passion that he built into a business. So before I bring Greg on and uh, we talk to him, I just want to thank today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Salt Rank specialists in search engine optimization. Did you know that people are trying to find your business on Google? The question is, can they? At SaltRank, we work to get your website on the top of Google so that new customers come to you. Stop searching for customers. They're already looking for you. Learn more about our service at www.saltrank.com or call us today at 844-255-RANK. That's 844-255-RANK. All right, now I'd like to welcome Greg to the show. Uh, Greg, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to be here with us today. Welcome to the show. Ah, no problem, Pete. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I want to talk today about your company, the World Record Striper Company, and how you created this, this company out of a passion because, I mean, you're an avid outs outdoorsman and fisherman. You're a world record holder. Um, and you've created this company and this product. You managed to make a deal with Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. So I want to talk about that today and uh, you know, ask you for some advice, what you can tell our listeners about living out your dream, creating a company. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit first about your background. Now, I know you're an outdoorsman, but what's your business background? How did you, you know, come up with this idea of creating a company? <laughs> Um, my business background is, um, I was never, um, I, I kind of always did things, um, for myself, small business stuff, never really legitimate company stuff. Like, uh, I mean, I, I always worked and made money as a kid. I guess I always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I, you know, I did, the, the business wasn't something that was really planned out the world record striper company. It wasn't, it, it kind of happened by accident. Um, right. You know, my product uh, was was created for me, you know, to be a better fisherman. And uh, what happened was it, it worked so well <laughs> that it became it became a business and gradually took a mind of its own, you know. And it, it just, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm the greatest businessman, but I'm learning I'm learning a lot fast, and I, I definitely have that entrepreneurial spirit, which. It, or gene, I would say. So it's not uh, it's not for everybody starting a business, that's for sure. But um, there's a lot of things to it, especially when you get involved with someone that is a billionaire and knows how to buy and sell companies, and and things aren't done with a handshake anymore. And you know, you make me a hundred of these, and uh, and uh, I'll get them next week. It doesn't work like that uh, right. when you start getting into bigger business. Well, let's talk for a second about, you know, what, what was your career? I mean, I know you're a professional fisherman. But what was your career before you started uh, the World Record Striper Company? Uh, I'm a union electrician. Um, 
I, I went to the University of Rhode Island. I was a natural resource major. I, I went there on a football scholarship. So, um, but my, my, you know, my day job as an electrician, I, I work still. I'm just, uh, I'm still working for the Department of Transportation as an electrician. It's kind of, it's kind of tough when your business starts to turn, your, your passion starts to turn into a business and you're still doing your day job. You know, there's a, it, it, it comes down to a fine line, you know, between what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to, are you going to yeah. jump all in? Are you going to give up something that's guaranteed for something that's, you know, uh, a maybe, you know, it's a right. tough, it's a, it's a, especially when you have people dependent on you, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do, but um, the world, where the world record striper company is heading, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, ready to be all in now. Well, you know, what you, what you said is so important for people to understand because a lot of times, you know, we'll have people on the show that will just say, oh, you just, you know, throw caution to the wind and you jump in. And I've noticed that those are younger people, people in their 20s. And, you know, right. for me, uh, I have a family. So, you know, if I decide I'm going to go do this, there's other people that I have to answer to. And so right. I think that from a realistic perspective, what you're saying, I think, is is dead, dead on. And I think it's going to help a lot of people because I find a lot of people who are in their 30s and 40s who have families, they, they have this idea, they have this passion. And they're torn. What do they do? Do they leave their job? But right. you, you know, you, you're, I, I, I'm not even going to ask you because I know the answer to this. You must be working extremely hard because you've got your full-time job and you're right. building this company, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think that yeah. that's, a, that's a component that people forget about, the hard work aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get up, uh, I go to my day job early in the morning as an electrician. I, I have guys at my company that are working without me there all day long. Um, and I'm still doing my, my electrical stuff all day. And like the other day, the other day I, I was, I, I just landed a huge deal with Cabela's. I've been going on the road to meet these people that are taking in my product at Cabela's personally for the first, you know, the first orders I've been personally packaging everything and making sure the first ones go out perfect. And, I've been burning the midnight oil. I mean, I, you know, getting going from one place, working all day in the heat, and then going to the, the company at night, and and having my hands on every single thing that goes out, making sure everything is perfect. And I actually, you know, the other day I was, I was, uh, I don't know if I was um, overtired or or a heat stroke or what was going on, but I had this flashing thing going on with my eye, and I went through a stop sign. Uh, right in front of a police officer, I was so exhausted, and and he pulled me over, and uh, you know it's we you know I started telling him what was going on, and he he understood. Uh, but but yeah, I mean it's definitely a lot, and you know there's a lot more to it than people think. You know it's creating a product and constantly improving on it, and and getting contracts and and delegating work to people and i mean having conference calls with with mark cuban and and all these other things you know that it's just stuff that goes on constantly that that people don't even realize and in order to be successful at anything you got to have good people around you that you can trust and and and, and have faith in when you're not there because if, if you don't 
it's, it's just never going to happen. You can't do everything. No, that's it's right. Impossible. That's absolutely right. And I think that that's, that's also something that people overlook. It's very difficult. There are so many talented people out there, but it becomes very difficult to find those people. But right. that doesn't mean you stop and you just take whatever you can get. I mean, because you're right. You're, you're doing all these things, but you can't do everything. It's impossible. Not if you want right. to be successful. So, right. yeah, you're right. If you want to keep it at a small level and be just a small company, um, then it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, it's, if you, you know, you can say to your friend and, and operate on a handshake, but when you start getting involved with these big corporations and companies, everything is a contract and everything flows downhill. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so if I can't produce a number that I'm telling you that I'm going to, then they're going to come after me. And if they're going to come after me, then the guy that is, is helping me uh, and I'm relying on that says he can, he can do a certain amount that he, I have to go after him. You know, it's just, it just becomes, it becomes crazy really. And, and there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much to it, like contractual stuff that when it becomes big business and people like Cuban and, and that buy and sell companies uh, all the time, you know, they know exactly how it's got to go. So you are, you are learning a lot when from a guy like that on right. how big business goes you know what i mean he is a genius on um and i start and i'm starting to learn a lot about business that that i just wouldn't even have imagined i would ever have learned now you know i would imagine that going back to when you first created the rattlesinker which is really your flagship product um right. you said you did it for yourself i would imagine that it was way different back then because you know you didn't need perfection in the creation of your of your design you didn't care about packaging i mean you were using this product to get some right. big fish and then right. right and then all of a sudden you know when you start to realize that people are interested in this it it because you're saying it you know in in uh, terms of business going from a small thing to a big thing how things change even with a product like what you've created it no longer is necessarily just about the product. It's about what you promise people and what you deliver and the way things look. So, I mean, has that at all changed your focus with respect to the Rattlesinker itself and what you feel about that product? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know it's a great product. I've been using it for, for a, a good portion of my life to, with great success. Um, you know, we basically invented the first fish call through sound and um yeah i mean to me it it, it didn't have to look perfect i was using i, I made about a hundred of them myself uh for myself and the success that i started having you know i started you know as a kid i used it to hustle money on charter boat pools to win money i'd go on these different charter boat pools and i would use it and people didn't really even notice what i was doing um I, I was winning the money and entering tournaments and winning them and then catching bigger fish than everyone in these bigger tournaments. And then I won angler of the year three years in a row and I'm a water magazine and people know, especially fishermen, they're not stupid. They know that there's nobody's that good. You know, there's, right. and I'm not saying I'm the greatest fisherman in the world, but my product makes me one of the best because it, it, it attracts fish 
and I think it greatly increases my odds of catching a big one. I'm appealing to the biggest one, uh, making a sound that uh, attracts them. You know, so uh, having a passion for sound and a hobby of mine was always listening to things. Um, you know, being in the construction business, I'm surrounded and bombarded by noise all day long, cars and jackhammers and traffic and planes and music and highway. I just want to get off of it. You know, at the end of the day, one of my hobbies is to listen with a hydrophone to uh, sound. You know, a sound to me is very important. I won't even watch a movie unless it has a good soundtrack. And sound right. is like a natural, a, a bird. Uh, I mean, eating something underwater. Um, you know, we're, I love going down to the ocean uh, because down there you lose you lose all the the man-made sounds and and noise and and you start to you lose the noise and you start to hear sound and when you go underwater you could really there's a lot of noise going on underwater a lot of sound underwater like uh i mean with a hydrophone i could float around on my boat at night and listen with my micro my my hydrophone in the water drop down to depths or whatever i want and i could tell all kinds of different sounds underwater um like shrimp fish eating shrimp uh crabs moving around lobsters there's there's all kinds of sound and it's that's when it hit me you know that these fish they're all nearsighted they're listening and there's a lot of noise going on there a lot of sounds to them and and they listen for their food so you know people have made fishing stuff colors and and all this stuff that really isn't as important as the sound that that product is making um you know and that's what i do i i record the sounds that that i know that these big fish are listening for because when you catch 60 pound and 70 pound striped bass and they're coughing up lobster you start to realize that this fish is is mainly feeding on this type of stuff and then you know i i more doing more research i realized that they're you know they're lazy too and they need to eat 10 pounds of food a day and they they're going to eat lobsters two pounder three pounds if they could and you know it goes for it goes for largemouth bass eating crayfish and and the invertebrate is something that big fish love to feed on so that's what i based my sound off of um i had the decibel ranges down by recording them and then i just had to go ahead and 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 find a rattle that I could make that would mimic that same decibel range and frequency. And then bam, a great product was, was, you know, created, but yeah, making it more marketable for the, for the, you know, there was a lot of skeptical people. There still are out there. They say, Oh yeah, it's just a gimmick to catch it. Yeah. But no, it's not. Right. But then again, you have to present it to millions of people in, in, in a retail environment and, it has to be somewhat more presentable. So, you know, in the old days, it was just, you know, the, the product constantly is, is, is being tweaked and, and, uh, and made better all the time. I think right now the rattlesinker itself is, is probably as, as good as it's ever going to get. Um, and I'm pretty confident now send it out that, um, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great looking thing as far as, something that works works really well too now you know so, you clearly you clearly have a passion for what you do you have a passion for fishing and creating this product was was born out of that passion 
at the point where you you realize, look, this is good for me. I'm catching huge fish. Other people are having results with it too. I want to make this a business. I mean, what what you know kind of a, a switch was flipped in your mind where you said, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this a business. What what helped you make that decision? <laughs> well, after catching the world record striped bass, which is one of the probably the most sought out and and uh, prestigious fishing world record there is everybody wanted me to speak and and they, they wanted to see who greg meyerson was you know they heard they had heard all this stuff and they wanted to see that this you know they wanted to they wanted to meet me they wanted to see me so they i was paid and, and still am to go and show up at these fishing trade shows and 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 given a booth to sell whatever i want at and give seminars but i you know I, i'm thinking what am I going to sell? You know, so right. he decided, uh, me and a partner of mine, Vincent Van Oss, uh, who was a part owner of the company as well, we were like, let's sell the rattlesinker, you know, it, it, why keep it a secret anymore? Uh, let's, let's see if the people will want it, you know. So in the basement, <laughs> I, I would work with a, a good friend of mine, Matt Farina, and, and he's a part owner too now. We would make these things and and we'd make rattlesinkers and we'd bring them to these shows. And we, I mean, when I went on Shark Tank, I had only sold 7,000 of them, but, but that was only in six days at six different fishing shows. So, so I knew right away that this is a product that could go a long way. I mean, this could, this, this is a game changer in the whole fishing industry. So I went ahead and, and not even realizing what I was doing, um, went for the intellectual property and the, the trademarks and, and, the, and, and patents and all that stuff. And I made it all property of the world record striper company. So Greg Meyerson is a trademark name of the world record striper company and, and Rattlesinker is a trademark name of the world record striper company. Not realizing that that was making the world record striper company worth a hell of a lot more money than if, if it didn't own those trademarks and stuff. Right. Um, I, you know, and I didn't really have any money to do it. And I looked around and then I contacted the UConn Law School and they said that they had a program that they taught their students how to get this work done and, and actually would file the stuff for me, at, you know, at no cost. So I, you know, I really, I got lucky there and I, I was able to get that stuff and, and, you know, getting on Shark Tank um, with really no, no sales at all but a good idea it sure helped to have you know the the, the ip the intellectual property yeah and, definitely and, and and all that stuff because that makes your company a a, a lot more um you know people are, are, are a lot more willing to invest or buy it or you know and, and mark cuban is a genius at all that stuff you know he he has a whole team of people working with me on that to to uh you know to make the company easily sellable down the road if that's the route, the route we choose, you know? Right. So it's like Phil Knight when he started Nike, you know, he, he had a good idea and, and, you know, he, he was helped by a few people to get it to where you know, he was an entrepreneurial guy and, and, but he wanted to keep control of it. And, and you know, but if, if you're going to get it really out there, you have to, to get it into the hands of the big money people and, and, and they're going to, they're going to do all the things that they know that you don't to get it to become a huge deal. And 
And I'm starting to see that a lot more dealing with Mark. You know, he he see, you know, it was basically a throwing eighty thousand dollars at me at the show is nothing to him, but it was basically a test to see if this product was was going to be accepted by the by the people in the fishing industry, and this new technology was going to be accepted because you know you know it's just he wasn't sure, I wasn't sure really either, and when Shark Tank aired. We sold so many all around the country in, in just a month that it, it was accepted in the freshwater market, the saltwater market. It was ex- all around the world. And right. After that happened, he was all in. You know, he, he came right in. He took over my books. <laughs> he, you know, he became my accountant, my website guy. He became everything. You know, he, he had people on everything because he sees the potential down the road now that uh, this this could and it will become a big deal now you know i want to talk about some of the things that you mentioned here first of all um did you did you have a lawyer do the patent for you or did you go through the law school for that as well yeah i went through the law school as well you know in the fishing industry everybody gets knocked off (laughs) you know i don't think patents in the fishing industry are as big a deal as a trademark name because you could someone's going to make their own version of it but they're not going to be able to call it the rattlesinker and they're not right. going to have be able to call it the greg myerson rattlesinker you know and there's there's all kinds of lures and stuff out there that people knock off but most people always want the original i know i do uh, you know they want the one that's built by the guy yeah. that invented it well so, you know i think what you're what you're saying is so valuable the fact that you know you you knew that there was a value in the intellectual property because I, I bet you that if you went into Shark Tank without having the IP, you might not have gotten the same deal. Because probably not. Yeah, having that that ownership where nobody else can say you know it, you know this is the rattlesnaker that protects your investment. That protects the investment of an investor who's going to invest in you. So just right. having that. That's so critical, and I, you know another thing I want to say, um, what, which is a great lesson. Obviously, going to a lawyer can be super expensive. All right, there's there's no doubt about it, and I think that uh, patent lawyers and a lot of the intellectual property type lawyers they'll charge you an arm and a leg, and and right. sometimes we as entrepreneurs or inventors we don't have that kind of money. You had a problem. Your problem was. You couldn't, you know, you didn't have the, the means of affording an expensive patent attorney or a trademark attorney, but you solved that problem. And that lesson is super huge. So, you know, it's such, it was a smart thing to go to a law school and say, listen, do you have something that could help me? You didn't let that stop you or get in the way. And I think that was an, an awesome solution and a great lesson for people to learn. Yeah. I mean, they, a lot of, you know, the, the lawyers told me that I would never be able to trademark Rattlesnaker. Um, they said, just trademark Greg Meyerson and put your name in front of any product you sell. Uh, you know, and I thought about it and I said, well, you know, let's, let's try anyway. What could it hurt? We'll right. Trademark Rattlesnaker. And they were surprised to, to see that, uh, it was passed through and we did get the trademark. So, yeah. you know, I would, I would tell anybody to, you know, not, if you believe in something and you really want it, just try, try to get it, try to do whatever you can to get it. Um, there's always ways around it. You can always change the name if you have to, but if you really, you know, you're looking at, you have your heart set on a, on a, on a name and 
go for it and you and, and see what happens. I mean, it does cost some money, but um, you know, the more you have, the better as, as far as yep. intellectual property. Yep, that's right. And you know what? Look, even if even if you had to pay the filing fee, you know, it's like two hundred and fifty something dollars to file a trademark right. application, depending upon what you're going to file. The fact right. that you 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 just you had the the idea of going to law school, I think, is is such a great thing to do because you know a lot of times I talk to people who have said, yeah, I want to get this trademark, but it's too much money, and I don't understand it, and I don't have time, and they don't do anything, and then. Couple of years later, somebody's ripping them off, and they have no way to protect, <laughs> you know, what they've done. So I mean, right. that was a great solution. Now, how did you? Because all right, first of all, you had seven thousand dollars or seven thousand sales during we that trade show. We sold seven thousand. We sold seven thousand units, so we sold okay. seven thousand rattle thinkers. Um, you know, in in the six days that we were at fishing trade shows. And that's you so, just pushing the product, right? That's you going like door to door, nest, you know, you know, in a sense. No, nah, I mean, we basically just showed up at these shows and put them on the table, and they were bought immediately. You know, we if we had probably had ten thousand, we would have sold ten thousand. You know, we went to these different shows with three or four hundred, five hundred at a time, and we did a we did a show uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, which was uh, pretty close to where we live. And we brought about four or five hundred with us, and we sold them all. And we came home. We had to we had to do the show again the next morning, and we were exhausted from being on the floor and talking and selling these things all day. And me and me and my buddy Matt went right back into production that that night, making as many as we could until the next morning, and bringing them to the show again and selling out again. So, um, yeah, I mean th that was just six days we made those first sales and and the product colored or 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 you know it wasn't really this great looking thing it, it basically looked like a fishing sinker and that was right. it um until the people actually picked it up and and shook it and 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 i had to you know in the beginning people just didn't get it and i had to and even to this day some people still don't get it but i, I have to drive a lot of sales uh you know Personally, when I talk to people, I have to explain what it does and how fish interact with sound, and and then they they, they say, yeah, you know, yeah, and they buy one. You know, right? <laughs> I have to, I have to like, you know, explain this product so so much to to drive sales, especially in the beginning. But now, you know, now with the exposure on Shark Tank and basically that giant infomercial that it was, yeah, um, you know, people are really, you know. And then they go and they they maybe Google me or or look up the product and then we have you know I have some great guys that write write for Google AdWords and and content and URLs and and keywords and search engine optimization stuff that you know these are guys that that don't really do it professionally just do it but they're good at it and 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 I have them working with me and and they've done a lot to to help you know get the right words and keywords out there so. When people look it up, you know they're they're or, they're, or they're, even if they look up what's the best striped bass lure or fishing lure, they're coming right to our little company, right. not some right. giant one. You know? <laughs> and that's stuff the, helps too. I mean, there's a yep, lot. Definitely. There's a lot to it. Let me ask you this: How did you end up? I mean, selling seven thousand units, going home and and making more. I mean, that that's kind of an amazing story. But how did you end up getting on the Shark Tank and landing this deal with Mark Cuban? <laughs> you know, I was working, um, I don't, I don't even remember 
they, I think I had an application sent to me. You know, Shark Tank has their own kind of talent searchers, you know, like uh, people that go around looking for people with good ideas or something that might be cool for the TV show or whatever. Right. So I, somebody must have found me through a patent application or something I filed um, somehow and called me while I was working uh, for the Department of Transportation. I was actually directing traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I had an email and I looked really, I looked really quick at my phone and and it was from Shark Tank, you know. So I was like, wow. Um, I put a couple cones out in the street to act as me, and I jumped in the truck <laughs> <laughs> and I checked the email and it was it was a phone number to Culver City, California, where Shark Tank is. And uh, I called the number and the girl said, yeah, we you know we're interested. What what do what do you do? I'm like, All right, you know, I I, I gave her a, a brief explanation of what my company does and what we make and what we've done. And she said, well, if they like you, you'll hear from us uh, at some point. I said, okay. You know, so I went back to work and I got home that night and there was another email from someone else from Shark Tank. And they said, we really are interested in what you're doing. Um, Would you be willing to talk to us? So I called. Eventually they wanted to see me. They wanted a video of what my potential pitch would sound like uh, and me doing it on a, in a homemade video. So I sent it to them and I hadn't, I didn't hear anything for, you know, maybe a few months. And I was actually, I had a reality show, uh, offer from a, a, a production company. And they, they had actually were all at my house. I had all these fancy sports cars in my driveway. It was Porsches and all this other stuff. These, these guys own this production company and they wanted me to sign and commit to a eight episode reality show. And I, I hadn't heard from Shark Tank, so I, you know, I, I was just about ready to sign the deal, and I had a, an email came, and I looked, and they said, "We think you're great. It was Shark Tank. We want you to, we want you to, we want to work with you. We want you on the show." So I had to, if I had signed that contract for that uh, reality show, which was really minimal amount of money, I would have been, a, I would have not been able to go on the. Uh, Shark Tank show because it's another, it's actually another reality show. You can't be in right. contract with someone else. So minutes, it was down to minutes that that were made me uh, still able to get on Shark Tank. I would have, I would have signed my life away probably a minute before. Who knows what would have happened with that? But you just, uh, you know, you just never know. So then I started working with the producers. Uh, associate producers for Shark Tank, and they were really liking the stuff that I was telling them, and and liking the way the progress we were having every Monday on our conference call. And then, you know, it, it came to a few months later, and they said, you know what, you're ready. You know, we're sending you airline tickets. You need to send all this stuff out to Hollywood, and we'll pick you up at the airport, and and then the rest is the rest is history. That's that's really cool, Greg. Are you up for taking a phone call? Yeah, sure. All right, let's see who we have in the air. Hi, caller. Hi, you all. Hey, Welcome how to the, you? the show. Thank you. My name is Hotep. Uh, that's a great story and very motivating. How, from an intellectual property perspective, do we as inventors and creators not lose our ideas? I had a colleague who had a similar situation to Greg's but the idea was taken. And even with trademarks, service marks, copyrights, and other forms of intellectual property protection, it just seems as though we have to promote 
and you know, dance our ideas for people who could easily, you know, um, take it or transfer it to one of their other companies and switch it up? How do we protect ourselves? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when you're filing for a patent or uh, especially a patent, it's it's not first to in, it's not first to invent anymore. It's first to file. So if you have a great idea and you have a product, the first thing you want to do is not tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) What you really want to do is get that pending application filed before, you know, see, I fished with the rattlethinker all my life, but I never told anyone what I was doing. Mm. Never. Luckily, luckily, because when I went to file, you know, they said, have you showed anyone this? And I, I, would, I was like, no. They're like, never anyone. And no. That makes it a lot easier. So if you have a good idea and you have a product, and, and, and the best thing to do is be the first one to file on it. And even if you don't, yeah. even you if know, you it's, don't it's, get that patent. It's a good point, Greg. The other thing I, I think, though, that's that's worth noting is you're right. Don't show it to anybody. But, you know, there are times when as inventors, you know, we have to show it to somebody because we need somebody's approval. And, right. you know, the legal documentation that you can prepare for, you know, a non-disclosure, um, right. you know, a confidentiality right. agreement, they're all in place. You can put them there. But, you know, the bottom line is that you really can't prevent somebody from stealing your idea from changing it, from morphing it into something else and calling it their own. What ultimately what ultimately happens is that you're going to be in litigation and you're going to have to be able to prove, look, this was my idea. I showed it to him. So the idea of intellectual property is super important. And what Greg did and what Greg is talking about is the way to do it. You know, you keep it quiet. You go, you're first to file because that is proof that it's your concept, your idea. But, you know, you have to vary, you have to be vigilant. Greg, I want to ask you this question. I would imagine yeah. that you're constantly watching to see if anybody else is copying your idea or competing with you on your product. Um, I keep my eye out for that. But more importantly, I'm, I'm looking ahead to the next product. <laughs> so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm adding my sound and I'm building a product to everything I can. Um, you know, there's, I didn't, I didn't create the wheel. I'm just making it better. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to make every product that's out there for fishing, um, better by adding my sound into it. And people could pick apart my stuff and try to figure out how I do it and all that stuff. But I'm already, I'm already that far ahead now. When my name is out there, it's my product. I mean, yeah, someone could knock it off and it could be, you know, Joe Blow's, rattling ding dong or whatever it is but they're going to not buy it from these guys they're going to want it from me i walk into a tackle shop and i see a cast master lure one of the greatest lures ever invented and there's a lure that's not a knockoff version right next to it it costs a little bit less i immediately grab the more expensive cast master because right. i know it's proven i know it works right and it's not, you know, it, it might not even be a bad thing that people try to knock off your thing because they're going to drive more sales to you. you yep. know, let, let, let these guys mass produce it. Um, 
put it in all over the world, but you know what? Oh, this isn't the original. We want the original. Right. And the, <laughs> you know, the original more- goes back to you because you put in the paperwork. And, you know, I think that that's really what you talked about earlier. And I was so impressed with the fact that you, you sought out an alternate way, an alternate method of going and getting somebody in the legal field to go file these documents for you or with you. That was so important because that set the stage. You're the owner of this product. You're the creator of this product. And now we can go back and we can, you know, trace the, the creation of the product. And if you have to, at some point, or, you know, any inventor out there had to go and sue somebody having that paper trail. I mean, you've all heard of, of the poor man's trademark where you mail something to yourself. You know, it's 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 not it doesn't work like that. But any any proof that you can establish that you are the creator of this idea, the one who developed it, you know, that's going to help you. But the best thing to do is what Greg did and to go out and to keep it quiet until you get some intellectual property uh, document filed, trademark, patent, whatever it might be. And, you know, when you're going to be dealing with people on the outside and you're going to have to show them your idea perhaps to see if, if somebody could help you mass produce it. You're going to have to, to get as many agreements in place, non-disclosure, non-compete, you know, that, that sort of confidentiality thing together. Um, nothing is foolproof, but the more that you have in the way of those protections, I think it's going to go a long way to, to protecting your idea. Okay. Thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you uh, tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. And if people keep a book for ideas, because what happens is very often the visions and ideas we get come in pieces. If we don't keep books for whatever, robotics ideas, fishing ideas, very often we won't connect the dots. So that's just a tip. Thank you so much, Hotep. Love your show and hey. stay strong. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he makes a, a, great, uh, a great point, you know, about um, protecting your invention. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think I mean, you did you did the right thing, and it's really impressive going to this to, to the law school. It was a great idea. Now, let's continue on. I have another couple of questions before we have to wrap up. So, sure. tell me a little bit about what has changed for you now that you've met Mark Cuban and and he's been involved in your company. And I have another question, I guess, before that, which is a lot of people think you go on Shark Tank, you get in, involved with somebody like Mark Cuban. Um, or even some of the the people that come across as being more friendly. And I think right. there's this perception that, oh, they're my friend. They're going to be involved in my company with me. They're investors. And investors right. are looking for, for bottom line. They're looking for money. So let's, let's kind of make this as a two-part question. First, <laughs> how have things changed now that you've been in with Mark Cuban? And do you agree with me that... He cares about you and your product, but he cares about the bottom line more importantly than anything. And that's not a negative. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about him. But as an investor, I think we have to understand if somebody's going to invest in our company, we have to work to produce for that investor. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I think I genuinely think that, that Mark likes who I am as a person. He likes me. Um, I've seen some quotes that he's made. Um, you know, and, and talking with him and, 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 and emails and, and late night emails from him, you know, even little victories for me, like like a deal with Cabela's or something just just 
a possibility of an idea or, or some, you know, he, he'll be quick to say, that's great. You know what right. I mean? So, you know, so I know he cares. I think he, he doesn't need to make $5,000 off of an order from Cabela's. It doesn't affect his billions of dollars. I, you know, I think he's, I think he's actually genuinely happy to help people um, build their business. And, and, and he's, Showing me the right way to go about it, and he, he does have his finger, you know, in his, his hand in it. So he he is not just doing it; he's teaching me how to do it, um, and putting in time to tell me the right way to, to go about doing things. So so I you know I genuinely think he cares, or he wouldn't even have put his you know when people walk into the Shark Tank and he and he sees them. I watch that video, and and when I walk in, he everybody gave me the evil eye. He kind of looked like me right from the start, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, and, and, uh, I, I really wanted to get a deal with him after watching the show a few times. I, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was great and it worked out perfect. It worked out the way I wanted, but my, I mean, the things that he's taught me in the, in a business sense are people could probably pay a lot of money to, for the stuff that I've learned from this guy in the last, eight or nine months that we've been working together. I mean, I have a crash course in big business going on right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm the creator of a product, right? And, and to me, in the beginning, that was, that's what it was. But no, I mean, it's broken down now. It's broken down into manufacturing parts numbers, what each part costs, what it costs to together, how many could you make in an hour, um, where, what's your overhead cost? I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people sell stuff and create products and have a business. They don't know what the bottom line is. They right. don't know what they're yeah. actually making off of their, some, you know, some companies have products that make them very little money, make them no money, actually lose money. And then have one great product that makes them and keeps them, keeps them floating, but they don't even know that. You know what I mean? Right. So. Well, and you see that on the show. I mean, you you can right. see other inventors and, and entrepreneurs come in, and when they ask that that ever important question, what's what's your profit margin? What do you what does it cost? And they don't know. Right. None of those people get deals because that's not how real business works. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, I mean, what I'm learning is how much money are we making off of each product that we sell? And I have over 50, 50 SKUs right now, and. I'm not just buying and selling one thing like a lot of companies do. I'm, I'm the manufacturer. So to know what every part is, I have to ID that part with a number. I have to share that, all that information with our accountant, which Mark provided for us because he knew, you know, it was going to be a big deal and he wanted everything perfect. So what I do is I, here's, here's this product. This is the components. These are the parts. These are the amount the parts cost me. Um, could I knock those prices down if I bought X amount? Uh, what, then what would be the margins? What are all my overhead costs and rents, utilities, paying people per hour? Um, you know, every single component right down to mailing it. I mean, everything comes into consideration when you're figuring out your bottom line and your margins. Yeah. And that's, and, and, uh, you know, that's huge. Because you don't want to go selling products you're not making money on, and, and a lot of people don't even realize when all the math is played out, 
that they're not making any money. You know, it's just, yeah. and and the business is just destined. To, you know, yeah. that that is important stuff. You, you know, you have to you have to really pick it apart. And man, you know, I didn't I didn't realize all that stuff when I started making a rattle sinker to go fishing. You know, that was just a year ago. Not even a thought in my mind after meeting Mark and dealing with all the people that he has around his team. You know, I'm learning every aspect of what I'm doing, how we can make it better, how we can make more money from it, uh, and and not hurt the product at all, and 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 you know, just all kinds of things that I would have never even taken into consideration at all. Yeah, and you know, one thing that I think a lot of people can can take away from your experience with Mark Cuban is that you know the idea of giving back. So many of us think to ourselves, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to help somebody else. I'm not going to answer this question. I'm not going to give any advice because I worked so hard and nobody helped me. And, you know, there's that, yeah. that very selfish attitude. And I think that when you get to uh, experience something like what Mark is giving you, you know, he's not going to, to make another billion dollars just by your company, at least not right, right now. But yeah. You know, he's giving information and giving support. And I, I think that, you know, you can learn a lot as a, as a business person, as an entrepreneur. When you have worked hard, you have built up, you know, your business. It's okay to give back. And I think that when you give back, you actually get more than if you keep Absolutely. it all in. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you know um, everybody has to stand for something. And the World Record Striper Company growing now, I'm starting to realize, you know, we have the potential to make a lot of money and what are we going to do with it all? I mean, I, I'm, I'm already looking into um, where I'm going to donate some of the money that we make. And, you know, and I strongly, we have, we have uh, guys that work for us that have lost people to cancer. We actually have people working for us that have cancer, you know, so that's definitely a place where we're going to put some of our money into that kind of research. And then my father died from Parkinson's disease uh, at a young age. So, you know, there's another place that, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're making money, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right to just keep it all to yourself. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you got to stand for something that I do, at least to feel good about myself. Um, and, and what I'm doing is not just for making money, it's for helping people too. And, and, you know, that's the way you grow and you become great, you know? Being, being a miser and keeping everything to yourself is, you know, yeah, you could do it, but are you really going to be happy about it and, and, and yeah. happy about what you're doing? Um, I don't think so. I agree with you. You know, I, I, I want to thank you so much, Greg, for taking the time out of your day today and sharing some of this, this great information with us because, you know, you gave part of yourself and your experience to our listeners, and, and I really appreciate, you know, your, your honesty, your candor, and uh, I'm super excited about where your company is going. It's certainly really exciting. It's got to be, com you know, completely exciting for you to be um, in in talks with Cabela and and to now have you know an arrangement with them. That's got to be super exciting. Yeah, I actually, I uh, I delivered I delivered to a few stores yesterday and and uh, got calls back last night saying that stuff was flying off the shelf already. I said, That's wow, awesome. You know, I didn't even think you were going to put the stuff on the shelf <laughs> in the next few days. You know, they said they're already selling just about everything I gave them. And that was only one, you know, not even a day, you know, 
it's just uh it's just uh you know it's just great it's great to be able to create something and break a world record or view world records with it and and turn it into a, a business that's a passion and and it's just a great feeling and i'm just uh i just really love it and i appreciate all the opportunities and all the people that have helped me along the way and all the hard work that's gone into it for no money and all the sweat and and the vision that I've had and the vision that the people working with me have, have had, uh, I just really appreciate everyone and, and helping me get where we are now and, and where we're going in the future. Well, I am really excited for you. I think you've done a great job. You certainly are a role model for a lot of people who are thinking about starting their own business or inventors. And uh, so I, I wish you continued success. Now, if people want to learn more about you, What's the best way to contact you? <laughs> um, well, World Record Striper Company. Uh, they could they could um, send us emails or or send me personal emails. Myerson sixty eight at Yahoo. I, I answer emails to everyone at some point. It may take a while. I think I have about two thousand emails in my inbox right now. <laughs> but you know. I used to sleep at night now from about one in the morning till four is when I answer emails. So <laughs> I will get back. I will get back to you. All right, Greg, thank you so much for being on. We're going to post links to the website. It, it really is a great product, um, great work ethic and, and great lessons. So thank you. And I wish you continued success. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was, um, I think really educational on so many levels because you know, Greg is um, a different kind of entrepreneur than than some of the other entrepreneurs that we've talked to. Greg is, you know, he comes across as the average guy, somebody that just loved what he did. And this invention was born out of his passion, born out of, of necessity in a sense, because he wanted to land the biggest fish. And um, I think that to see the development of a product through Greg's eyes, the way it started off, He's making it in his basement, and then you know they get to these trade shows because he's talking about his success as a fisherman, and then to say let's sell the product, and you know there's so much that we can pull out of what he said today. The the work ethic I think is really critical because they go to a trade show, they sell their product out, and they don't just sit back and say, "All right, I guess we're done." They go home that night and they make as many more rattlesnakers as they possibly can. So that's a great illustration about hard work, you know, because over overlooking hard work is something that we tend to do. I think we sit back and we often see people who are passive income specialists or people who are selling product and you have this idea in your head that they're golfing, they're out, you know, with their family, they're not working. And maybe at some point in your lives as an entrepreneur, as an inventor, maybe at some point you can sit back and you can have your company run itself in a sense but that doesn't come you know for years and years and it's the grind it's the hard work it's continuing to fuel that fire and to keep your passion ignited that's going to get you to that point you know we're going to have hurdles we're going to have obstacles and we have to overcome them if we want to be successful as entrepreneurs and clearly what Greg did with respect to the intellectual property is commendable because it is very expensive, hands down, to hire a lawyer. 
And sometimes, you know, it's a necessity, especially if you're trying to protect something that you've worked so hard to develop. But sometimes, even though it's a necessity, it's unattainable because of the expense. And there are a lot of attorneys out there that will see you have an idea, see you have a passion, and they'll play off of that and, and you know, charge you, you high fees. It, it, it is what it is. We live in a capitalist society. I'm not going to, you know, criticize or comment. It is what it is. But when Greg hit that wall, he knew he needed intellectual property. He went to look for alternate ways to, to make this happen. It wasn't, you know, oh, man, I, I, I don't have the money right now. I can't do this, so I guess I'm just going to stop. Or I'm, I'm going to wait on this idea with intellectual property protections, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and sell it anyway. He didn't do that. He pushed through that barrier and went out and came up with this idea, which was an excellent idea, going to a law school and seeing if they had anybody that could help him. And, in fact, they did. And from what he said, he didn't have to pay for a lawyer, you know, he probably paid the filing fees, but what a, an ingenious, inventive way to push through a problem. And that just illustrates the point that I'm trying to make. We are going to have problems, difficulties, obstacles, whatever you want to call them, right? You want to just say it's a problem or you want to take the more positive approach and say it's a challenge. It doesn't matter to me. It is something in your way. It is a, a roadblock, an obstacle. You must decide that you want to overcome that. You can't let that obstacle push you back. You can't be afraid to take that leap over that hurdle. And you have to realize that when you ask yourself the right question, your brain is going to come up with the right answer. You cannot sit back and say, and let's use Greg's example for a second, oh man, I can't afford a lawyer. How am I going to protect my property? I, I, I can't do this right now. I can't file a trademark. I can't afford it. I don't understand the complexity of the application. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I just, just guess I won't do anything. When you start talking to yourself that way, when you start telling yourself that you can't do something, when you start telling yourself that it's over, that it's too challenging, that it's too complicated, you failed. You have to be able to take control of yourself and say, all right, I don't have the money for a lawyer. What can I do? How else can I make this happen? That question is an empowering, positive question that's going to set your mind in a direction, resolution, as opposed to depression. And you know, there's a lot to be said for the psychology of talking to yourself and the way that you talk to yourself, the way that you analyze situations. And I think that if you look at successful people in this world, we all are faced with challenges, some greater than others. But the people that have become successful have found a way to overcome that challenge or limitation or disability, whatever it is, and they've pushed past. So this example of hitting a wall saying, oh, I need this, and then, and then figuring out what to do is really a wonderful example of what we need to do as entrepreneurs, as business people, and you know what, quite frankly, even in our personal lives, because our personal lives are littered with challenges and obstacles and problems, and we just can't sit back 
and let things happen to us. And that's another point that I'd like to pull out from what we talked about with Greg today. Greg didn't just sit back and let things happen to him. Greg has been pushing and pushing and promoting this product. And, um, you know, I cannot say that I am anywhere near a professional fisherman, but um, I've seen his product in action. I've seen uh, what it can do. And I, I really think that he's hit on a perfect product. And he has now this great relationship with Mark Cuban. But what um, an inspiring story and somebody that we can look up to. And then finally, you know, we talked about his willingness to give back and the fact that he is, is, is receiving information from Mark. And Mark is being, you know, kind enough because that's what it is. There, there's a level of kindness to be able to say, listen, I've made a lot of money and I've, I've experienced a lot of things. And now I'm going to share that with others. I think that that's something that we all need to do a little bit more of. You know, Greg spent the time with us today to talk about his story and his experience, and and that giving back to your community, giving back to um, your community of entrepreneurs and, and business people, I think is commendable. But I think it's also something that's necessary because he's right. I mean, he talked about not being able to sit back and be a miser all your life, and I do strongly believe that what you give, you get back. And what you hold, you know, you, you never reap the benefits of. And maybe there are people that you know that are successful and that don't share, but I question how much more successful could they be if they gave back. And I'm not talking about gratuitous tax deduction giving back. I'm talking about giving back, giving information, giving time, being a mentor, helping people, I think that yeah, business is cutthroat. Business is capitalism in this country. But don't lose who we are. Don't lose who you are. Think back to you know an experience that you might have had, either when you were young with a with a teacher or as you were growing and 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 getting involved in the business. Wasn't there somebody in your life that gave you a little bit of time, pointed you in the right direction? Don't you look back fondly on that person, whether it was. Mrs. Smith, you know, uh, your English teacher or, you know, your science teacher or somebody that you met in school or a professor in college or a colleague. Wasn't there somebody in your life gave you a little bit of themselves, pointed you in the right direction? And don't you always look back fondly on that person? Uh, and I think that that's really important for us to try to be a, a culture of business people that give back just a little bit because I think what you give, you will reap the benefits of. That is going to do it for today's show. I want to, again, thank Greg Meyerson uh, for taking the time out of his day and uh, wish his company, the World Record Striper Company, continued success. He's a great person, great product, great company. I also want to thank today's sponsor. And today's sponsor, again, is Salt Rank. Specialist in search engine optimization. So if you want more information on them, you can go to saltrank.com. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we will be back on Monday with Business and Legal Week in Review, my co-host Bob Hughes. I also want to just remind you of what you might have missed this week. Yesterday, we had an absolutely amazing interview discussion um, with the Willis clan on our new show on Different Note, which is a, a business law and music show. 
completely uh, amazing conversation, great people, great family, a lot of lessons to be learned, whether you're in the music industry or not. So you should check that out. We'll be posting the video up on YouTube sometime later today. We have also had some uh, new videos, some law basic videos that, that went up this week. And uh, just really a, a great week with a lot, of, uh, a lot of activity going on. A lot of good people have been on the show. And we look forward to some of our upcoming guests, you know, including in September, we have Rich Gasperi, who for those of you who might be uh, knowledgeable or involved in the bodybuilding, weightlifting world, supplement world, Rich Gasperi was a, uh, a, a second place runner-up Mr. Olympia. He's a national champion. He was one of the most iconic bodybuilders in the late 80s, early 90s. Just somebody that um, I, I think so many people in sports and bodybuilding looked up to. A great guy. And now he's the creator, founder, owner of Gasparri Nutrition, one of the best, most highest quality supplement companies in the world. And so we're going to be talking to him in September. We've got uh, Eric Banholtz coming up from Beard Brand. There's just so many people coming on the show and so much that we're going to learn. So I'm, I'm very excited. I hope you are too. Please take a minute to subscribe. You can subscribe to the show here on Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe to the video portion of the show through iTunes. Uh, I'm not iTunes. I'm sorry, YouTube. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. All of the links that you need to get you to where you're going are on utlradio.com. You can do everything right from the site, including listen live and watch, uh, watch video or some of the live shows that, that we have. So check that out. Please don't forget to leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Um, we appreciate our caller today. We'll be receiving a UTL radio mug. So thank you for taking the time to call in with your question. And, um, you know, I look forward to talking with all of you and helping you and, and giving you the best content that we can, we can create. So that's going to do it. Thank you very much for tuning in, for subscribing. Remember that there's power in understanding the law. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.